Welcome to the Locker Room Podcast, presented by the University of Maryland Sports Business Society. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Locker Room Podcast, where we take a look behind the scenes of sports business. My name is Sam Benning, and today I'm honored to be joined by Mike Slonina. Mike is the CEO, president, and founder of A Shot for Life. A Shot for Life began in 2011 in Massachusetts and is a sports-based nonprofit organization that fundraises for cancer research and other health-based initiatives. ASFL connects and empowers communities through sports. Being involved in this organization is one of the greatest honors that any athlete can have. They raise hundreds of thousands of dollars each year and have now grown to massive popularity throughout New England hosting the best athletes in the Northeast across many different sports. Mike, thank you very much for hopping on. How you doing? Of course, man. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, to start off, I'd like to go back to your origins. Yep. Like, What was the role of sports during your early childhood? Um, the, yeah. Sports have been a huge obsession sort of since I can remember, um, starting with probably Michael Jordan that, you know, was the reason I think I fell in love with sports to begin with. Mind mm -hmm. you, I'm probably... Well, I was born in 1992 and I think Space Jam came out in 1996. So that was like a huge part of my childhood. Um, I remember having a bunch of Bulls tapes that I would watch as a kid. And so sports have really been a huge sort of driving force in my life um, for my entire conscious memory. So it's it's always been a big piece of who I am. Were you big into like, obviously your your main thing is basketball. Were you into other stuff besides that too? Yeah, definitely. I think I liked other sports for sure growing up. Basketball was always the obsession. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I loved baseball, football, um, really anything that could get me out of class. I was on board. <laughs> so that that for sure, I was a big sports guy, like capture the flag. Like I was that mm. kid in grammar school that like if we lost in gym class, I was distraught for a week. Yep. Like I was really, really upset about it. Um, so uh, competitiveness and sports and all that stuff has always been a huge part of me. Um, but I would say that like, I liked the other things, but basketball was always the thing that had my heart and that I was really focused on. Was there something that like specifically that drove you to basketball? Like, how did you get into it? It's a good question. So no, not really. I mean, I, I think I loved Michael Jordan. I love, I just <laughs> fell in love with it. I don't, I don't know. Like the, the bounce of the ball, like making shots, um, all of that stuff. I just fell in love with it. I so my grandmother tells a story. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if this is true, but my grandmother tells a story that I was in the crib and they gave me like a bunch of like squishy toy athletic stuff. So there was like a hockey stick, a football, a basketball, whatever. So she says that as they were taking away everything, I wouldn't give up the basketball. And I was like cradling it. Like I was on the floor, like wow. not letting them have the basketball. Wow. Again, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> But they tell that story, and so it's a cool story regardless. That's a great story to stick with, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. After doing a little bit of reading, I saw – I heard information just about you hooping in, like, first and second grade, and you yeah. told your family that you don't play for fun. You play to win at, like, That's six correct. or seven. Um, That's correct. You want to just go into a little bit about that? <laughs> so I'm, I'm not like the most like well-balanced individual you're ever going to meet. Like I'm just really, really driven. And um, no, my God, it's, it's true. If I would lose a game in first or second grade, like it really, really bothered me. I still remember a lot of them. Like I, I just, I have a long memory for things like that. And that, that's just who I've been my whole life. I was, I feel bad for my mom. I was a difficult child because I, I definitely was, 
a lot to handle. Um, and it was, it's, you know, weird too, right? Because I would so badly want to win, but if I won, it wasn't like this great joy. It was like, okay, that went satisfactory. But if I lost, I was going to replay every single moment of that game until I played again. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, that, that's definitely me for sure. What was your hoops career like in like elementary school and stuff like that? Did you play like AAU ball or anything like that? Not not yet at that age. Also, AAU at that time wasn't as popular for kids that age. So that's yeah. definitely something that's been more of like a last 10 year phenomenon. Um, I was a good player. I mean, when I was a kid, I, I definitely was a good player. I was from a skill standpoint, more advanced than people my age, I would say yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, and I was a tall kid, so I didn't end up being a tall adult. But as a kid, I, I did have a little bit of height. Um, not like I wasn't a tall player, but I also wasn't one of the smallest. Yeah. And so I was a good player as a, as a little kid. Hmm. And tell us a little bit about like what happened in seventh grade. You know, you had, you had the injury and everything like that. Yeah. So I can actually tell you exactly what happened. Um, I'm on the right wing and I catch a pass. So I'm at a new school. Right. And I think all of us, when you join a new school or a new team or a new, whatever, there's a, a process of getting comfortable there. And I, I hadn't really found my footing for the first couple of weeks there. Um, and I really wanted to play well. And like, like I'm very driven. I, I really yeah. wanted to play well. So I catch the pass. I'm on the right wing. I throw a head fake. Kid goes by me. I dribbled left, jump stopped right. And when I went up, a player was coming down on my ankle as Ooh. I went up. And it forced the bone out of place onto a nerve. But we didn't know that. Yeah. So I, I come down. Um, clearly my ankle is at least sprained, yeah. blows up purple. I played the rest of the game. Cause my thing is like, I've been, you know, kind of fighting for minutes here. And I was always that player where I was never going to be end to end the most athletic person in the gym, but I was a good crafty player yeah. that knew the game well. And I knew I needed minutes to prove that stuff. Yeah. And so there's just no way to prove that not in a game setting. So I kept the state in the rest of the game. Um, next morning, my ankle is, you know, three times the size and it's purple and it stayed that way for about four and a half years. Man. We did everything possible to try to fix it. People were telling me it's in my head. My response was always, well, then why is my ankle swollen? Yeah. They didn't really have a great response for that. <laughs> um, we tried everything, man. Acupuncture. Um, I went to every specialist you could possibly imagine. Biopsies for autoimmune diseases. At one point, they put me on a brain medication to try to intercept the pain signals going to my brainstem. To, they thought that was the problem. Wow. Didn't stop the pain, but I did stop the ability to use my right arm for like three days. What? Like Christmas one year was crazy. Lost the ability to read at one point in eighth grade. Um, and eventually my mom found the Patriots chiropractor, Dr. Michael Miller, who has radically changed my life. He took one look at my ankle and said, oh, your foot's in the wrong spot. And now mind you, like <laughs> at minimum 25 specialists had touched my foot before then. Wow. And he just goes, this is really going to hurt. And he takes it, rips my foot off the nerve. I say some stuff I cannot repeat on this podcast. Um, and the swelling was like 50% down within 12 hours for the first time in four and a half years. And so I started kind of working my way back, but there was permanent damage from all of that time. I, it was never going to be totally the same. Wow. Um, and so it is what it is, but that, that's basically what happened that derailed my career. It ended up being the biggest blessing in the world that, yeah. that, it really was a good thing long-term. It was good for my personal character development. It was good for what my basketball life would become. Um, but certainly I didn't know that as that wow. was all happening. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, moving, moving into high school, yeah. um, going into like CM Catholic for our Maryland listeners, Catholic Memorial high school yeah. going into CM. How'd you stay involved in the game of basketball? 
So I was a manager. Um, I remember I asked Coach Tobin as I was a freshman to be a manager. Um, that was, you know, I'm super, 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 super grateful for them allowing me to be part of that team for four mm-hmm. years. Like that, that was really cool of them. They did not have to do that. They also always made me feel like I was part of the team. Like never, ever did they treat me like I was not just as much entitled to be there as any as the starter that the the captain starter, right? Um. And as a freshman, it was really fun because it's like you're the little brother and all the players are older than you. And it's this cool thing. Now, once my peers started showing up on those other teams, um, that was tough, man. <laughs> like That was that was tough uh, going through. It's just there. I want to be like my personality just doesn't fit that role well. Um, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that role. I'm just, like that's a, that is people are managers in college. People then turn that into like business and sports careers. I'm sure you're going to talk to people that have gone yeah. that track. That's a totally legitimate path to take. It just wasn't something that I was a great fit for from a personality standpoint. Um, but that, I mean, some of those nights put a chip on my shoulder that I think has still not been satisfied. And so it was, it was a good thing. And I'm super grateful to have been a part of it for so long. Um, but it was definitely a really big motivator at different times. And you still like, you were still shooting every day and stuff like that too, right? Uh, yeah. And yes. Yeah. So I, I basically put all of my time and effort into shooting. So because my ankle hurts, some people ask this, actually, when you see me take NBA threes, I can't, I almost look like I'm dragging my back foot yeah. and I am dragging my back foot. It's because for those years I couldn't push off my left. Huh. I'm actually dealing with a right knee injury right now because of that. And <laughs> so um, it, yeah, I, I had to learn how to kind of shoot without it. And I just said, okay, I can't play. And I'm I'm realistic, right? Every year that went by, I understood that my career was slipping away further and further. And again, especially for someone that's not going to be the best player from an athletic standpoint, I'm going to be the best player because I'm crafty. And so that I knew I was losing those developmental years and I could feel that happening. And so I said, I'm just going to be the best shooter I can be. And that's yeah. that's how I'm going to handle this. And um, that was sort of the track I took. People called you crazy for doing yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that's crazy? Do you think that's some sort of insanity? What? What You're shooting every day. Yeah. You are like shooting during lunch periods. You're at like staying with this team, like, you know, training at like a really high level, like higher than some of the high school guys that I would know. Higher than all of them with the exception of one who was in the gym with me. Yeah, exactly. Like, and you're like, still in that position where you're struggling with this injury where you're struggling where you are like yep do you think that's crazy um i think that i never accepted that that was the end of the story mm-hmm. and i think that no matter how much other people would tell me that it was and look we've all been in high school high school kids can be mean man yeah. like that's like hearing some of the stuff i heard in that time i just never believed it and i i didn't know how i didn't know why i honestly i had no i just in my like heart never believed that that was the end of the road and um it wasn't. And so, but it's, it's, yeah. Like, do I think it's crazy? I think that losing hope is crazy. I mm-hmm. think that it's important to always hold on to that. And I think that, um, honestly, it made me a way stronger person. Like, because people, God knows, told me I was crazy. Yes, that was all happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it really built like, trust yourself. Don't listen to anybody else. And I think learning that at a young age ended up being a really valuable thing going mm-hmm. forward. Absolutely. Um, and when you turned 17, Yep. Your life changed greatly, even more so. Um, can you just go through what happened with your mom and, and kind of how you reacted? Yeah, I can exactly. Um, so let me see here. Let's see if I, I don't have a blank piece of paper. So um 
my mom sits me down on the couch one day and she takes out a piece of paper like this. So she'd been having headaches and um, she went, to, she was switching insurances and so she went to just get a brain scan just to see, like, like there was no real reason for concern. And she drew a dot like this on a piece of paper. Hmm. It looks small here, but when it's in your brain, it's so up, it feels yeah. more important. Um, and she said that they found what they thought was a malignant brain tumor. They did not know what that meant going forward. She's a photographer, so they told her cancel everything. Um, you know, they didn't give her necessarily a timeline, but they were like the next three months will be really important. And so, you know, when you hear that, like I have other extended family in my life, certainly, but on a day to day basis, just me and my mom. And yeah. so, um, you know, you think you hear that and you get super motivated or super angry, or super sad. You just go numb. Like it's yeah. it's so much information at one time. And you're, it's just shocking. Um, and so the first thing I did was went to a basketball court. I shot for about five hours. That's always been kind of what I, my solution to every problem. Yeah. Um, and it, it didn't, I, it didn't hit in a week. It didn't hit in two weeks. It just, it took a long time to process it. And the absolute reality is that, and I'm in the unfortunate position now of having to have this conversation with kids that go through this, that come into my office. Yeah. I had to prepare to lose my mom. Like that, that is the the truth of the matter. Like I had to mentally brace myself for that um which is actually at 30 still something that almost chokes you up a little bit to say yeah. it was a really really hard time in my life um and obviously my mom's life as well and i really wanted to make a difference um and that's what kind of led to all of this that that now exists how, <clears throat> exists. Did, how did it officially start with a shot for life was there like a specific day it was probably <clears throat> not long after it um i really we were looking at things that had never been done before. So people had like swam across the English Channel. People had climbed Mount Everest. People had taken free throws for 24 hours. People had taken just threes, but nobody had ever shot for 24 hours straight from all over the floor before. Um, and I said, okay, I'm going to be the first. And then I started training three times. It, it was kind of that simple. I was like, I'm going to do it. It's going to be a fundraiser for my mom. This might be the last thing she ever sees me do. And it's this is happening. And so... Um, that it, it was kind of like a light switch sort of moment. It wasn't like a, over a week I decided. It was like, that's never been done before. You can be the first person in the history of the sport you love to do it. And I was like, I'm in. I'm Say less. And so let's let's start. You got a lot of media attention and stuff yeah. like that. There were ESPN stories and stuff like that. Yeah. First of all, what was that like at the age of 17? Like you're getting all this coverage and stuff like that. Like all the cameras are on you. What was that like, first of all? Um... Well, so I think it's important to note by the time that happened, we found out my mom was going to be okay. Yes. So I think it would have been a different reaction had I not known that already. So we found out probably a month before the first ESPN interview that she, it's it could be a birthmark. They don't know what it is. It's yeah. whatever it is, is too deeply embedded in her brain to biopsy it safely. So they'd have to just watch it. It's now been 12 years and it's actually shrunk. And so it's it's not, um, it's not that. And so we're, it's not a malignant tumor. So we're good. Um, we're like the 1% of families that it works out this way after that news. Thank God. And I've dedicated my life to helping everyone that doesn't get that good news. So I want to preface with that. Yes. Um, so just now going into the media attention, um, it felt like, I don't know how to word this. I think I, two things were at play with the Fresh Shot for Life event. The cancer research aspect and wanting to really kind of carry that on my back. And also I lost my entire competitive life yeah. and it was almost like God in one fell swoop said here, I can give you all of this back. Like every single thing you lost and then some I can give you back 
And I think I would have been a really good player. I do not think I would have been on the front page of ESPN.com. Let's just be clear. And so it, it was like, it was kind of competitively handing my life back. Um, and I heard a lot of stuff from classmates over those four years, man. It felt good. I'm not going to sit here and lie. <laughs> it, it, it felt good. It, it definitely, it felt vin, um, vindicating to, mm-hmm. to be honest. And so it definitely felt good. It was a lot of pressure, but it felt good. And, and like lead, like on this day when you were actually doing it, like, what was that like? Was there like, I didn't get like a real picture or, or view of what that was. First of all, talk about that pressure that you might have been feeling too, shooting for 24 hours straight with that stuff. So I'm going to be totally honest with you, man. I was super, super, I mean, I was nervous in the morning. I remember I had pancakes in the morning and I couldn't eat them all because we we're trying to carbo load me. And we're also like, like throughout the training, I had to be on like a 3000 calorie diet. Like it was like a big preparation for this. Um, I was ready. Like I, I, I killed myself to get ready for this. Like I, I really felt confident in my body. Um, I also felt like, and this is sounds like hyperbolic, but it's really the truth. If I was going to die on the floor, I was going to die on the floor. Like I was not, not completing that. And so that is, I, it, from that point it was calm. Cause it was yeah. like, I'm going to win this. I remember there was a, a biology teacher, like right before it started, I did a, a TV thing. And then I'm walking towards the free throw line to sort of like get started and he pulls me over. I'm not going to say his name because of what he says, but he pulls me over and he goes, you know, your mom would really much rather have you alive than to have a little figurine of you. And I was like, thanks, man. <laughs> like, pre- appreciate it. <laughs> like, why would you say that to me right before we're about to do right this? Before you're starting. <laughs> awesome, dude. Thanks. Um, and so I was, I was, I wasn't nervous going into it, man. I was so focused. I was so excited about it. Um, I mean, I had a, in the training, I had a big sign. So I'd wake up at like five every day to go train for the first time. And when I'd wake up, there was a poster looking back at me that said, how bad do you really want it? And the point of that is like, we're all motivated the first week or the second week. What happens when it's August 20th and it's time to go run hills and your friends want to go hang out, but you need to go eat grilled chicken and water and run hills. And so it's like, you know, it's just constantly reminding you, if you really want this, you're going to have to really go for it. Um, And so I was ready. I was excited. I I woke up every single day wishing it was that day. If anything, I probably overtrained. Honestly, I was healthier like a month before it than I was after it. Um, wow. And even just last, I know this is a long-winded answer, but I just want to fill in the details for the, yeah. the listeners. Like I was running my mouth like crazy for the month prior. Like I was, cause like people, I've, I've, I've lived so many different roles in, in life to an extent. Like I was the, I was the manager of the team. Like people were saying all kinds of crazy stuff. But once I knew I was going to win, oh my God, I was inviting it. I was I was running my mouth like you would not believe. Say more, say more, say more. Because I wanted it. Hour 17, I wanted to remember that. I was fueling myself up to do that. And you know, thankfully, Brendan Hall, um, who was the ESPN reporter that covered the first story, uh, he did not say exactly what I said in that interview. I would be mad at one of my ASFL athletes if they said what I said. <laughs> but I had a quote that... Um, can am I allowed to swear on this? Sure. All right. I can't. I'm, I might not say the swear, but That's he, cool. he basically asked, like, well, what have people been saying to you? Like, how's the reaction? And I said something to the effect of, and this might not be exactly a quote, but it's like 99%. I said, there's a lot of people saying a lot of things, and on April 9th, I'm going to slam their effing mouths shut. And I, I said, now I would be very upset with one of my players if they said that publicly, but um, I definitely said that and it did not make the article, thankfully. So thank you, Brendan, but at 30, I'm going to say what I said. So that's where my head was at though, going into the event. 
that's that's powerful stuff man and what was it like like getting to like hour 23 like how did like what did you go through and I'm sure that's a mental toll on you too like oh my god so so all right can I walk you through the 24 hours do it please all right first hour starts and I'm nervous as hell because mind you I've worked at this a ton I've taken thousands of shots a week I've never shot with a people looking like I I had a little stage fright. I'm not used to that. Like it, it was going to take me a little while to settle in. And so the first couple hours was mostly that just settling in to sort of getting comfortable. Um, in the second hour, I got a cut on my middle finger or no. Yeah. My middle finger, um, which seems like not that big of a problem to non-basketball people. It's a huge problem because now every time I shoot, the cut is expanding. Yeah. And so they had to like put this big thing of tape on it. I've never practiced with that. Yeah. And so that is a really big issue right away. I'm trying to shoot over 70%. And so that that's a problem. Um, and then in the fourth hour, my wrist goes. And that was the real the real killer. I It, it was either a tear, a tear or a really, really bad sprain. I couldn't bend my wrist. Wow. You're a basketball player. Yeah. You know what that means. So I, yeah. I'm now, you know, we're on the bench. And I had like these like little five minute breaks between hours. And so they're looking at my wrist and everyone's panicked. Like, what are we going to do? We're four hours in. There's a documentarist over here. There's cameras over here. All these people are here. The people from the hospital are here. He can't bend his wrist. Like, how are we going to do this? So at first they put on this brace um, and I couldn't bend my wrist and I missed my first three shots with it. So I took it and threw it off the stage and was like done with that. And the 20 of the last 24 hours was on a wrist that I could barely bend. It was, I'm I'm serious. It was like an eight to 10 out of 10 out of pain for the next 20 hours. Um, But it, it is what it is. And then you keep going. And I remember being like six hours in and thinking like, I've been shooting for six hours and we're only 25% of the way through this. And then you just keep going, man. People are coming by from my social life. People are coming by from school. P- teachers certainly came by. Um, the community of CM that existed at the time was super supportive. So like the principals were there. The president was there. Like they really have my back. Wow. Um, the people that worked at the school at the time. And so that that was cool. And then probably around hour 12, um, I was still going strong really until like probably 3 or 4 a.m. That was the like kind of gut check time yeah and then you get through that and then like what was funny is like 8 a.m people started coming back so people like there was probably 500 to a thousand people there but not at the same time they like flow in and out because it's through a day so it's like an open house essentially um and as people started filtering back in at 8 a.m people were saying congratulations congratulations i'm running on fumes man like <laughs> like this is not congratulations for me like i i really up until the last hour um it, it was just a dog fight, dude. Like, I, I don't, I don't know how else to put it. Like, I'm trying not to be hyperbolic, but that's really oh, what it God. was, dude. It, it was, but one of the things I thought was really cool and special. And one of the articles actually did mess this up and I have video to prove it. Um, the last hour I hit every landmark shot. So I hit, I hit, um, 7,500. I hit 8,000. I hit 8,101. I hit the last shot. And so there was no landmark number that I didn't make the shot. And it felt like a big shot every time. Like when I would go to step in for 8,000, you could hear everybody like, oh, and then it would go in. And it was, that was cool, man. That was, that was a cool feeling. Wow. Um, Wow. I gotta, I'm trying to think, like, would you, during, while you were shooting, would you like talk to people or were you like, did you say, did you like say a word for these 24 hours? I didn't really talk to anybody for the first eight hours. (laughs) I was like, pretty locked in for the yeah. first eight I think after that I talk a little bit mm-hmm. I would also um 
I was just in my own world, man. You ever see KG before a game? Mm-hmm. Like the reason why I love people like that is because I get it. Like I just would like there's because there's a lot of video of a lot of the stuff. I and I feel bad now, but like I would just walk away from people. I was just in my own little world, mm-hmm. um, in my head, and so there was talking, um, but not a ton of it. And I was just going, dude. I had so many like demons to kill in that 24 yeah. hours. I, yeah. I was I was going nuts. Who knows what I was saying? Like I know, like I they moved my break periods into the back room, my short break periods into the back room. Um, because they felt like I had to get away from the stimulation, which I fought against, but I got voted by my mother. And so we're back there and I would go back in there and just start like spitting fire. Like this person said this in 2000 and whatever, like, this is what I think about them. And like, I, I had a lot of, uh, dragons to slay in that 24 hours. And that was coming out of my mouth quite a bit. Wow. I, I, but I know what you mean by what you're saying. Like when you're performing your best, there's nothing in your mind. A hundred percent. It's tunnel vision. It's you're locked in. Yeah. And at, one, at one point where I had to talk to people. So my lips did start to turn blue at one point. So we had to talk to nutritionists. Like a lot of people had to sign off on this to wow. let me do this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Multiple doctors thought it wasn't going to go well. But um, when my lips started to turn blue, because I was getting too dehydrated, they had to bring me outside, give me water. And they made me brush my teeth just to like make myself think I was waking up. It was probably yeah. around 6 a.m. Um, so that happened. And then we also like, you reminded me, like, I haven't talked about this in a long time. Like, we had to keep changing my socks because I, I kept getting really bad blisters. Yeah. We had to keep putting my feet in warm tubs to like burn off skin. Mm-hmm. It was, it was wild, dude. It was, it was crazy. It's those little things that you don't think of that like those are going to affect you so much. Like even the cut on your finger and stuff like that too. The wrist thing, I can't even tell you how many hours of squats and like shooting a medicine ball and my <laughs> whole body was prepared and my wrist goes. It was just like, you gotta be kidding me. And that's, it's like a game though, right? Like you have a game plan, you go into the game, things change, you got to adjust. And so when I hurt my wrist actually, and I'm sorry, I hope these aren't too long of answers, but this is great. When I hurt my wrist, I had two choices. So the original goal was to take 10,000 shots and shoot over 70%. And I knew once my wrist was that hurt, I have a choice now. I can either jack up shots like crazy, which I was still doing kind of anyway. Um, and not, I'm probably not going to shoot 70% or I can protect my percentage. And honestly, I've always been really calculated in that moment. I'm thinking when I talk about this in 12 years, what's going to be more impressive that I shot the highest percentage or that I took the shots. And I was like, percentage will be more important. Mm -hmm. And so I opted to that. Um, But with that, I didn't protect my percentage at all. So like, I'm also mad about that because like the Ashraf Life Challenge didn't exist yet. And in my mind, it didn't even exist yet. But I'm shooting like half court fadeaways. I'm shooting like, I think it's documented in some of the articles. Like I'm doing every type of shot. I should have been more regimented. Like I'm, I'm yeah. like that 73.2% for 24 hours is including like underhanded shots from the other free throw line. Like That's... it's, it was cause I wanted to make a point. Like I, yeah, I, yeah. Never played. I was there to make an, a point, but I should have been more like exact with it. And I wasn't. Yeah. And so that, whatever that, that is the point that I wanted to make. That's still quite the feat though. If you're taking like circus shots and stuff like that, I mean, that's something that's I, that's something to respect i would say i mean i shot 81 percent in the fifth hour and so that um yeah i, th- I appreciate it yeah um, absolutely um moving into college yeah is that is a shot for life is that something that you wanted to stick with like what was your plan moving forward for that stuff like that so I knew that it was something that I wanted to do going mm-hmm. forward. Um, I had no idea how to do it. And I'm 18 years old. And yeah. so I think 
it was a process to figure out how to get the solicitation license, how to get the 501c3 determination. That stuff is really expensive as well. And actually, probably one of my biggest mistakes in my career is that we donated all 17,000 of the first event. Now, somebody hearing that that's never worked in a nonprofit would think, oh, that's great. You donated all the money. Not great because now we can't operate. And so <laughs> that set us back a solid year. And so that that one of the things that you learn working in a nonprofit from a business standpoint is that we're not a bake sale. Like you can't look at us in these one year installments. You got to look at it over the totality of the mission. What is better for the long term of the mission? And so um, I had to go get the 501c3 determination, had to get a, a lawyer to work pro bono. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't know what it would look like. Um, I just had like this very sort of like fragmented ideas in my mind when I was 18 going off to college. What was your first like event that you hosted for a shot for life? after your your shooting challenge i want to say it was a three-on-three -three event that we did with a fraternity at quinnipiac um did not go well by my <laughs> expectations i mean one of the hard things about getting the the sort of like oh not overnight god knows it wasn't overnight but like the sort of rocket ship success of the first one is that it's not sustainable not at 18 with no corporate infrastructure at all like that yeah. so it was always going to be a huge dip but i'm 18 i didn't get that like i i'm a kid and yeah. so um, I, it, it definitely was a, a tough couple years sort of rebuilding the image of what a shot for life would be. And that's what led to the a shot for life challenge. The a shot for life challenge was to get back into that sort of direction. Um, and I actually came up with that in my sophomore year of dorm room. Huh. And, and was that like, was there a big boom with the a shot for life challenge or did you also still have to grow that? Well, so yes, we had to grow it, but it was also a big boom. So basically we said, we're going to, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm saying there's a million bike rides, there's a million runs, there's a million three on three tournaments, there's a million marathons, all that stuff. Yeah. We have quite literally $10 in the bank account. Like we're, we're not going to out budget a $500,000 gala. So we need to be different. What can we do that's different? Because this was so recent from, from my event, you know, I mean this not in a bad way, but like a lot of people knew about it. So let's capitalize on that while that's still fresh. And so um, we're going to take the 13 best boy shooters in Massachusetts we're going to have them all compete in this event. They're going to raise money. Now this is a more popular thing, but then it wasn't. Like we were kind of the first people to do it in this type of way. And let's just see what happens. Immediately, the public loved it. People followed the event. It only raised like $10,000 the first year, but it was kind of a proof of concept year. We added the girls division the next year. Um, and it it was, it literally was the core of what has started everything that a shot for life has turned into. And even though it doesn't raise, certainly with the gauntlet raises, the gauntlet raised almost a quarter million dollars last year. Yeah. It's something that we'll never, ever, ever go away from because it's what makes us different and makes us totally unique. Um, and that, you know, I can't, I sort of came up with that at 20. Absolutely. And I, like you said, like, there's no one else that does this. Like, Correct. This is, like this is what makes part of what makes a shot for life so powerful. Agreed. Um, the other point of that, and like, not to cut you off, but just, I mean, you, you're probably going to go in this direction anyway. Like all of our alumni, some of them go off to these major schools. Some of them go play pro, but most don't. Most become, you know, doctors and lawyers and teachers and businessmen and accountants and all kinds of different things. Like we're not just raising money for cancer research. We're teaching future leaders what their talent is capable of for the world. And I just think, as a side effect of what we do, that's a really powerful thing. And so that I just wanted to add that, that it's, it kind of, it accomplishes two things at once. Yes. And, and exactly to your point, um, first, you've also just grown now to so yeah. many different, you know, things across the sports. You have the gauntlet, like you mentioned for our listeners, I'll do a little explanation. Um, the gauntlet 
participants uh, play 24 hours of basketball, um, you know, as a symbol for the struggle that cancer patients go through. Um, you have the, the a shot for life challenge, obviously, as you talked about, um, crowning the best shooters in New England, the first responders game, Boston yeah. Fire and Police Departments uh, face off in a basketball tournament. Uh, now you've gone, gone into other sports too. You have softball, baseball, you have the home run derby, uh, the Courage Cup for soccer, yeah. uh, Clash Against Cancer for lacrosse. Yeah. Uh, and you have now football too with the Shot for Life Bowl. Football um, and hockey as well. And hockey, exactly. Um, yes. So obviously, like I said, you guys have basically, like over the past couple of years, it seems like you guys have grown seemingly seemingly exponentially um, yes definitely like how do you feel that you guys like what caused that growth over these last couple of years so no one knew it um but <clears throat> pre-covid we had a monster event on the way that was like 80 percent of the way to fruition um what i can say publicly is that it would have been the biggest basketball event in the world <laughs> it was going to be in the td garden from june 27th to 28th of 2020 big time partners um everything was on track covid hits completely derailed so when you look at our yearly progress it goes like this and then 2019 we kind of stall and because the people don't know the context for why it's because we were preparing the budget for this huge thing in 2020 that was going to project to uh 2.1 million it was going to cost about a million we were not paying for that there was going to be different people paying for that um but my point is everything was in preparation for 2020 covid hits certainly destroyed a lot of organizations didn't destroy us we've grown eight times since then but it definitely derailed us for sure so we're sitting in the office and we're saying okay you know right now the rules are you can't play basketball and so what are we going to do we're a basketball charity yeah. And we'd always kind of abstractly talked about other sports um, and not growing isn't really an option here. Like, it's not like we're definitely not. I think you probably tell from my personality, like we're not the type of people that are like, like, oh, well, yeah. I guess it's, we just lost this year. Like, no, we're, we're going to figure it out. It's just how are we going to figure it out? And so we said we've never done other sports. We've talked about the home run derby and it work like like do, do the baseball players care about us? Is this going to travel? And I had a baseball playing intern at the time. Um, and I asked him, I was like, do you think this would be successful? And he was like, yeah, I think so. And, you know, it's going to take like a while, right? Like probably like next year or something. And I said, great, the event's in three months. Let's start. Let's, let's get the guys on board. <laughs> and so we announced it. Turned out all of those kids were friends with our basketball players. You know, I, our reach was bigger than we thought it was going to be. And they immediately gravitated over towards it. And that was the first step that like, okay, other sports might work. We tried lacrosse next. That worked. And then it was like, let's go. Let's, let's just hammer all of them. And it's been the exact same thing for all of the different sports, mm. which has been really exciting. I mean, we've essentially created an army of elite athletes yeah. in the Northeast, which I think is really special. And it's a beautiful thing is just that sports are bringing people together. Mm -hmm. Like you have, you have two, two amazing purposes is like this cancer based fundraising initiative. And then you have, like you were talking about like this team building team based community where you're you're actually building something that people are a part of like for sure. i'm still lucky to be connected to you and connected to other people that like i've been in involved yep. with in tournaments and events and stuff like that i think that's one of the the most amazing things about a shot for life um do you think your role has changed over the past years as a shot for life has grown <laughs> i think that i think to an extent, yes. And to an extent, no. I mean, I think one of the things that makes us successful is the brick by brick relationships. I think there's everyone's ever worn our jersey knows my phone is on for them. Yeah. And they do call and I love that they do call. And so I think 
at the beginning of this, it wasn't one big sponsor, one big partner, one great player that was so much better than everybody. Like it was a million brick by brick, conversation by conversation relationships. And as we've grown, it's really important to me that we don't lose that. I don't ever want to be the organization where one of my players can't call me because I'm five people away from them yeah. in the chain of sort of command. I, I would hate for that to happen. As much as we've grown as an organization, we've also grown as a community. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important aspect of this for me. Um, what I would say is that like when I was 25 or 24 and we had three events a year, I knew everything about my players. I knew their dog's name. I knew what TV show they liked. I knew what their favorite song was. I think as we've grown just by the numbers, it's just hard to know every player like that. I try, but I also think now I'm so much older than them that that relationship is different. Like um, she's actually from Situate, like Annabelle Lennard, for example, yeah, yeah. is a friend. Like she is a graduate of this program, but Annabelle is also a friend. And so I think now it's a little bit of a different relationship with the players, just that the gap is so much bigger. We don't really have that much in common. The players I know the best are the players that volunteer at the other events or that come by the office all the time. There's certainly a number of them that I, that I have a great relationship with. Um, and we that's actually something that we're trying to do better now with so many more players. We're trying to grow our staff so that they have somebody at this organization they feel close to. Um, and so that, yes. Anyway, to answer your question, my job has changed certainly as we're dealing with bigger sponsors and bigger events in different states and all, all that stuff. But I've tried to keep that core of it the same as much as I could keep it the same. Hmm. And on that kind of idea, is every day the same for work? Like, what's your day to day like? No, <laughs> God, no, no week is the same. No. So number one, what people don't understand, and actually it's a former intern that said this, and she's 100% right. This is not a nine to five job. This is an anytime job. So it will frequently happen that I'll have nothing to do until noon, but then I'm going to be on Zoom from 1 to 10 p.m. Like it's, or like, for example, I haven't not worked on a Sunday since the gauntlet, which was in November. Like it's, it's like people really don't understand how much work it takes to build something like this. Um, especially with no big sponsor coming in and just funding your staff. Like, like you have to do it brick by brick. It's every single day. Like there is no difference to me between a Tuesday and a Saturday. And so in, in some way, I love that. I'm doing what I love. But in another way, as a human, that is exhausting. And certainly yeah. now I'm married and like it's, you know, my life responsibilities have changed since I was younger. And so for them, um, Nicole's super supportive, by the way, but like it's it's a lot, man. My phone rings all the time. Like they also need me as well to be present at home. And so, um, no, no two days look alike. Every day is different. I love that. I love the excitement of that. I'm not the personality that could just sit in a cubicle and, yeah. you know, punch numbers, but it's definitely... Like I haven't had a vacation in in years. I, I it's so it's definitely um a lot of work for sure. There's one thing I think that stays constant. I think it's your shooting routine. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Do you do that every day? Every day. So right now I'm dealing with a knee injury because yeah. I've been leaning on my right for the last twelve years, yeah. and so mm-hmm. I have a, a little bit of cartilage loss. And um, my physical therapist Christine Roy, who is like the absolute best in the world, she's helped me through every injury I've ever had. If you're listening to this, call Christine Roy at Integrative Therapeutics. She's the best. Um, we're working on it now to get myself back in a place where I can shoot. It's crazy, man. I was shooting 3,000 shots a week, literally. And I take two weeks off for Christmas and then I can't jump. And this is because I just lost a little bit of strength and it's a lot of miles on this knee. So that has stayed consistent. Um, it's something I take really seriously. And it's also therapy for me. Like it's it's just where I can go to be myself. I think when a shot for life started, I had to put the athlete version of Mike away for like the business person of Mike to be successful. And, you know, a shot for life couldn't be synonymous with me. When you think of a shot for life, you need to think of Megan Albrecht. You need to think of TJ Power. You need to think of, you know, um, Maverick Rizzi. Like you, there needs to be other faces of the organization 
for it to be successful. Um, but I am still that at my core. And so it's, that's actually always been a, a, a give and take for me. Um, and sometimes I post shooting videos just to, just to be clear, just so we're yeah. all clear. Sometimes <laughs> I post shooting videos just so we all get it. That's right. Everyone's got to know. You still that's got right. it. That's <laughs> right. I can't say it publicly, but I can show you and, and you can take your own uh, t- determination from there. That's right. Um, the, there are a lot of cool things about your job. Do you have a favorite thing, favorite aspect of your, what you do? So that's tough. Um, giving experiences to other people that they wouldn't otherwise get is really exciting. Um, I would say the relationships with the players is really important to me. Like that, that is as important to me as anything else. Obviously the cancer research aspect is the most important aspect, but like when a player reaches out at 24 or 25 and says um, how a shot for life has impacted them. Cause I think what a lot of times happens is that, you know, I get my kids, my, at least my talent-based players at, you know, anywhere between 17 and 19, they are kids. They might be really big. They might be really athletic. They are a kid psychologically. And I think sometimes it's not until 23, 24, 25 that you really get it, what you were a part of and what you are a part of. And that's a kind of a core thing. I always tell them that they're always a part of it. Um, And what I've actually seen a lot recently is that in high school, they have their athletic home. Then they go to college and they have it there. But then that ends. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they're dropped in the world and they have nowhere to go. I can't even tell you how many of our athletes at 23, 24, 25, 26 have gravitated back to a shot for life. They've joined the gauntlet. They've done other things in the organization. They've worked here. Like that's been really cool to see how many have gravitated back. And I think that's because of the relationship that we build. And that's why that's so important. Um, But I do definitely think there are players that don't full, like they get it. Certainly they get it, but they don't fully, fully, fully get it until they're an adult. Um, And I think that that's been special to see that what we're saying is getting through to them, even if for some players, it takes a little while for that to sort of seep in. Absolutely. Um, Do you have any years moments events that stand out to you in a shot for life over your career there can be multiple like yeah definitely a lot um so i would say the first one was the obviously the first event and i didn't say this after but i told you i was running my mouth like crazy (laughs) um before the event after the event, when it was successful, I walked back into that school like the Terminator. Like I walked in there and was like, still got something to say? Still got something? Like I, I oh my God, I was insufferable after that event. Um, but after what I'd gone through for the five years prior, I feel like I earned that. But I was I was probably really tough to deal with, to be honest. Um, anyway, so that was a moment, certainly. Um, I'd say the first A Shot for Life Challenge was a moment when I knew that was going to be successful. Uh, the first first responders game was a big one for me because when I went to go, so the reason that that was created was created for a lot of different reasons. But one of the main ones is that people kept calling us a high school fundraiser in 2015. And that was like nails on a chalkboard to me. Like, I I know we're kind of leaning into it now, but what you're just seeing is the first step in all these sports. So like baseball will get a gauntlet, football will get a gauntlet, soccer will get a gauntlet. So it's going to become an adult event too. And we're just starting in high school because that's kind of the, our bread and butter, I guess, to create something. Anyway, my point is, the first responders game was created to get out of that mold. And there was a certain person in a certain department that I called for help and told me it's never going to work. It's going to totally fail. Like it's just, the guys won't do it. Like they're going to hate it. And um, the Celtics Shamrock foundation had become a sponsor that year, which to me was like the, so meaningful to me. Um, You know, it, it took multiple meetings to have happen. And I was really young. Like I was nowhere near the sort of, presenter that I am now yeah um so that was something that I appreciated beyond words 
and the whole Boston skyline lit up for it. The Zaken Bridge, the Prudential Building, um, all the bridges, TD Garden. And wow. it's actually on my wall right now because I got a personalized Celtics jersey. Um, and I took a picture in front of the garden and Zaken Bridge that were lit up. Wow. And that that was literally the moment. I'm probably 22, 23 that I was like, I can do this. Like I, I can do this. And um, it's so some people see it actually on my wall in the office. That's why it's there, because it reminds me of a time where I wasn't sure and became sure and um i'll always appreciate the celtics for that they've actually stayed a sponsor for a really long time they still are um the celtic shamrock foundation um just legally there's a difference but the celtic shamrock foundation is a sponsor um and that's something that was always really meaningful to me so that was a moment uh the first gauntlet was actually definitely not i felt like i lost the super bowl because it wasn't as good as i expected really yeah, because I thought it was going to raise a lot more and it raised like 30,000, hmm. which now looking back, that's great, right? It's yes. It's <laughs> a good first step. But in my head, I want to cure cancer. So I, yeah. it wasn't to my expectations. I'd say after the third one, um, and I think there's always moments like that every year or two. There's something that you look back at and you're like, that was really cool. Yeah. And so it, we definitely don't reminisce on a day-to-day basis, um, but it's there are definitely been moments that are are like gratifying and sort of give you a calmness that you're on the right track yeah um what happened at the uh 2017 asfl challenge i heard you guys had a little uh something you ran into about like the heat or cooling or something like that oh no that was the gauntlet so oh, the gauntlet. Was, sorry the gauntlet that was oh my god man <laughs> all right so it's the first asfl gauntlet i'm like you know, the gauntlet now has hundreds of players. Mm -hmm. When you create something, there's not, there's like 25 of us. And the gauntlet you guys did is still hard, right? It's challenging, but you don't get hurt. Like the first one was looking back, like not safe. Like that was, that was <laughs> way too intense. And so um, the heat goes out in the building and everyone's asking me like, Hey Mike, where's the heat? Mike, where's the heat? Mike, where's the heat? I'm 23. This is the first major event I've ever run. Everyone's older than me. And so I'm like, oh, it's coming. Like it's, it's coming on. Like I, I kind of feel it. You don't feel it. <laughs> and um, I'm trying to act like everything's going to be okay. I find out probably at 1am, like the heat's gone, like, like, like a wire got tripped, like it's gone. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, so this, this is how my career ends. Right. Like, so I, I guess I'll just like, you know, get, get like a sales job maybe like, I don't know. And so I, I'm trying to figure out where my life goes from there. Um, they toughed it out. I mean, when you look at those pictures, man, we're all huddled up in, in sweatshirts and jackets. Now it's a funny story. Yeah. Certainly the fact that we had players come back after that was a credit to them. Wow. Um, yeah, man, that was a tough one. That was, because also what's tough when you're running something is that when you just don't have a solution, like yeah. I, there's nothing I can do to fix that in this moment. Yeah. And we prepared as much as we could. And I was, that was a tough one, man. Like that, that one was, that was a difficult one, but worked out yes like we ended, it ended up we got by it but um thank god but yeah that was a tough one for sure yeah yeah that's uh, that's funny um kind of on that topic what is the hardest part about your work today oh you get no break like it's it's dude i'm i'm sincerely these are 15 hour days every day for years on end um i think it is so much more intense than people realize you know you show up at the events at the gauntlet for example and you see the food and the players and the courts and the lights and everything it's like oh wow this is you know it looks fairly simple someone's got to get all those people like it's it is it is so much more intense the pressure is enormous because we're still not at the size like we can't nor will we ever but like some some businesses you just you know you do your job on a day-to-day -day basis whether you do a great job or not a great job it doesn't really matter. It's, it kind of is what it is. We're not that mm -hmm. you have to fight and be successful every single day. And that is, again, sounds hyperbolic until you work here. 
and then you get it. Like, I think we have interns that have come in before that, you know, when they walk in, they kind of think that it's, it's simpler than it is. And then they get how much pressure is involved in making all these things successful. So I would just say it's mostly the emotional and psychological aspect of always getting up for it. Like I can't get sick. I can't get tired. I can't have anything bad happen. Um, I mean, I had a health scare a couple falls ago. That was a dramatic moment for the organization, but it, um, it's just a, it's so much more work than people realize. And so I'd say that's the hardest part. And, and to that, I would say like you work your tail off. Like there are a lot of people that, that really don't understand this, that, like you said, there's a lot of work that goes into those events. Yes. There's like, like your discipline, your attention to detail yes. is like, is like none other. Um, and so, sorry, go ahead. keep going, keep going. So people often come to me with, they want to start a business. So they want to start a whatever. And one of the things I always say back to them is that do it. Like it is the, the highs are higher than you're ever going to imagine. The lows are going to be brutal, but the highs are higher than you could ever imagine. But understand what this takes. Like people don't, you know, we, we watch entrepreneurship shows or we, and they, like you have this very, um, not you, I'm saying just people in general tend to have a very romanticized view of what this looks like. And it is not that like, it, it is really a tremendous amount of work that you got to be willing to put into if you're going to go this route. And so I, sorry, I just wanted to add that for the no, listeners. No, thank you. Um, yeah. I was saying you, you do some of the little, you do all those little things and those are the things that really make the big picture what it is um you know i saw you, you know, like you're the guy that picks up trash on the side like you're this guy that's gonna you know you'll get to do those coffee runs for your for your people mm-hmm. you you shoveled the snowy field before that i saw we that did. We you did. Shoveled, shoveled the field um, we did. i i off of that i just want to ask you what inspires you like what keeps you going when you have those 15 hour days um and those tough times I so I don't feel corny or weird saying this. A shot for life is going to be one of the most important things in the world. And I, I can tell you for certain that there's people whose individual worlds have been changed by this organization, but it's going to do that on a more macro sense. And that's not from a place of like arrogance or a place from boasting. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's certainly not. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, you know, I, I am religious. Like I have a strong belief in God. I think we're all given different gifts for different points of different reasons. I think as I went through those things as a teenager, it was so hard to understand why they were happening to me. And I think all of us, when bad things happen, why me, right? We're all kind of narcissistic in that way. Like we're so important, nothing bad should ever happen to us. And so I think I can perfectly see why all those things happened. I think it prepared me for the career I ended up taking. And I feel like I have the ability to really impact cancer research and, and people's worlds. And so I think it's my responsibility then because I can to do that to the best of my ability. And I just think I think it's a, a a blend of a lot of things. I think it's caring about the people that we are trying to treat. I think it's being competitive. I think those two things are very much married and and with what I do. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's having the responsibility that I can, so I have to. And I it's it's my job to do that. And I think so. My first year out of college, I substitute taught at my old high school. I could barely look in the mirror. Like I I, I just not because there's anything wrong with that, but because I knew it was wrong for me. I knew I was wasting what I could do here, and I I just. I feel like a responsibility to do this. And I just think I can't imagine anything worse than looking yourself in the mirror and knowing that you didn't give it everything you had. Like, I think if you fail, but you did everything you could, life is hard. Get back up and keep working. But if you fail because you just, you know, kind of didn't go do what you needed to do, that's humiliating. Like, I I can't think of anything worse than that. And I never want to have that feeling. I agree. Um, Do you think that, is is this where you thought you'd be 
like 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Is this where you thought you would be and where ASFL would be? Um, the growth has taken a different path than I thought we would take. Certainly. Like I, I thought it was going to just be basketball. I did not plan on this multi-sport thing. I think it's the best thing in the world that we have gone this way. I think it's a way more sustainable level of growth. And the other thing just really quick about that is that this is growth that we control. It's our organization. We're not, we're not depending on a partner to help. We're not like, this is just us, which I feel really good about. Um, and so the direction as far as like the shape of it is different than what I thought it would be, but I did plan on a shot for life being a really big thing. And so I would say that every step has been intentional. Um, so yes, I did plan on doing this. I did plan on coming to an office with the logo in the background every day, mm-hmm. uh, but I just didn't know what shape that that would take. Mm-hmm. Where do you see ASFL in five years, 10 years? You talked about this a little bit. You want to go in a little bit into more in into detail about that? Yeah, so there's a lot of different sort of directions of growth we can take from here. And I think a lot of what I'm trying to figure out over the next two years is what, I think it's hard because you have to balance what is sustainable and repeatable versus the home run swings. And I think you got to be really strategic about that. Um, You know, that home run swing event that was going to happen, obviously was put on the back burner. You know, there is certainly a thought, do we go back in that direction? That, That would speed us up quite a bit. But, you know, what if it doesn't work? Yeah. We know what we do works. Why don't we just do Connecticut and build the entire program in Connecticut and then continue yeah. to grow state by state from there? I think, um, so if you ask me exactly what we'll look like in five years, I don't know. I can guarantee you we're going to be triple or quadruple the, the size at least. I mean, we're yeah. triple the size we were three years ago. And so that I can guarantee. I just don't know exactly what the shape of that will look like. I love the idea of a gauntlet slow pitch softball game. Like I am super all in on that. And so I think, a lot of what we're talking about now is doing that. We're also now being reached out to by like volleyball people, field hockey people about yep. building other sports. I'm I'm scared of two things. I'm scared of oversaturation. I think we're getting kind of close to that. Yep. And I also think that um, like it doesn't make sense for us if it's not going to be a huge fundraiser. So it's not worth at this size spending three months on an event that's going to raise $20,000. Like it's, yep. it's got to raise 70 to 100 for it to be worth just the opportunity cost of the time to take to create it. And so- yep um that those are all things we're kind of weighing at this point but we will be bigger i can guarantee you that those are big 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 business decisions too like like you said like you want to grow and you want to give back to this community but there's a certain place where you have to go to first correct um yes that's 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 interesting to think about too though um and i want to know from your perspective do you have advice for people say my age or like you were at like 17 who even if you're struggling or some someone who's even trying to start a business or something like that what's your career advice to people start now because there's a, I, I i love that question because people are always saying well i'm not ready like in another year i'll be ready another two years no you won't you're never going to be ready you are the first big meeting you walk into you're not going to be ready for an athlete the first big game you walk you're never ready until you get punched in the mouth in a real situation and you got to respond like i'm such a believer in you got to sink or swim start now do not listen to anybody. Like everyone's going to tell you it's a bad idea. A hundred percent of them are going to tell you it's a bad idea. Read every entrepreneur book ever. The beginning is how everybody thought it was a bad idea. And the reason why you shouldn't worry about that is because it's your vision. It's not, if it was their vision, they'd have created it, but they didn't because it's not. It is your vision. Trust yourself. Like I, I cannot emphasize enough. Start today. Get the logo made, make a Twitter handle, do something, but get the ball rolling because you're never going to be ready. You're going to wait your whole life to be ready. You got to just jump in. And on that note, 
the I love this this quote. It's, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but the master has failed more times than the beginner has, has tried. Mm. Like you're going to fail like crazy all the time. That's fine. That's a part of this. It's a side effect of success. Don't worry about that. Just keep going and start today and don't be afraid. And like that, I just, people are so scared to fail and they're scared to fail publicly. Don't be like, be, I, I love the, um. it's like a poem. It's about the man in the arena. Where, and the point is like, don't listen to the, like the loud mouth on the side. It's very easy to stand on the sideline and talk about the guy trying to be successful. Be the guy trying to be successful. Like that's who I is as someone watching from afar. That's the person I respect. The person that's failing publicly more than the person that's criticizing them just sitting on the couch. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. That would be my advice. Start now and don't be scared. Hmm. That's inspirational and powerful stuff. Mike, thank you. Um, now we can move on to our final section of the podcast. We call it our Maryland Minute. Uh, we got a couple speed round questions. Mike, tell me whenever you're ready. Ready. Okay. First one, favorite New England based food. Oh, that's tough. Uh, I would say that... That's like sausages from Fenway. I'm a huge sausage from Fenway guy. Uh, I know you're a Celtics fan. How many championships will the Celts win in the next five years? At least two. Twos or threes? In what do you mean? Basketball. In basketball. Oh, threes. Threes. What? threes. <laughs> who who is the NBA's goat? Oh, Michael Jordan. That's not even a debate. I could <laughs> I could give you another hour on that. Michael Fair. Jordan. Um, what would your career be if you weren't with ASFL? I have no idea. I, I I have no idea. Fair. Um, last one, pregame hype song. Till I collapse. Fair. Uh, 100% <laughs> till I I probably played about a thousand times during the first event. That's valid. Um, Mike, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Um, a huge shout out to you and all of the people over at A Shot for Life uh, just for doing what you do. For all of our listeners, you know, give them a follow uh, at A Shot for Life on Instagram, all, all of their handles. We'll show those links in our social media posts and everything like that. To all of our listeners as well, follow us on Instagram at SBS underscore UMD to stay up to date on the latest Locker Room podcast guests, news, and other information. Mike, thank you very much again. We really appreciate it. And thank you to all of our listeners. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. All right.